<clears throat> don't understand how <laughs> it's coming through on fucking number four. It's almost like I'm number one, but also my shit's writing onto your track at number two. Is so, it just the fact that there's crossover between the two mics? No, it can't be that, man. Because we'd get that every week if that was the case, wouldn't it? Um, I don't know. I think actually I'm coming through on number two and you're coming through on number four, but in any case, I've got it covered. Aye, cool. Fucking <clears throat> technology troubles. So, hello and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. Another week we another conversation with me and you, Matt. But Aye. Um, it's been a um, few weeks since we've actually sat down, just you and I, um, which has been good. Uh, you know, it's nice to, we did say we we're going to continue with guests and obviously we've had a few crackers in recent weeks and out for Indy and the guy, uh, Matt, for Extinction Rebellion. Something that we did get a wee bit of feedback saying, you know, it was a much longer conversation and, and it is, like the environment and Absolutely, stuff like that yeah, is I. vital to where we're going as a, as a species. Um, it was maybe a deliberate thing on our part because we'd hope to have Matt back again, maybe on more specific topics or, you know, any of the other guys for, you know, Extinction Rebellion as we, you know, doing the, the line that want to come in and get specific. Absolutely. You know, I think we'd be we, we, It was really just a general introduction I, I to give a From my perspective, like, I'm not going to, I mean, I would love to, but we're not sitting down with a climate scientist and we're talking about, like, the actual like ramifications or like the signs behind climate change what, we, what I was trying to do is actually like shine a light on them as a activist group mm-hmm. and maybe promote them a wee bit because all that we've had in the press about them is unfortunately well the, it's the, definitely screwed the Greta and and people getting pissed off at their protests in London that is literally all that I've really seen yeah. about them so it was more about Gain somebody for letting people know that there is a local, like active local section of that activist group and how they can get involved and the perspective of the individual why they wanted to get involved in Absolutely. that. Do you know what I mean? But I mean, there is definitely a longer conversation to be had about climate change and the even if we were talking about the potential effects that it could have on just us, whether oh, it be like migration or rising water levels but I mean in the, the couple of weeks since we've done just, just a general the chit chat there's been a lot of fucking shit <laughs> aye the, the pendulum doesn't stop swinging does it um, it's a bit kind of I as I was sitting about in the office today I was a bit kind of like where do we start this week um, I know a lot has been made about the Derek Mackay situation um, we might come back to that and touch on it um, we're maybe a wee bit a week behind the ball in that respect Um We've also got Philip Schofield. Philip Schofield, again, another one that, <clears throat> you know, have a, a similar situation in my immediate family for a Sunday who was later in life before they came out and, like, it's a big decision. Um, but, you know, obviously it's kicked up a lot of dust about mm. what his real motivations were and, you know, o- only he can really speak to that, I think, to be honest with Absolutely. you. Um, you know, the one for me that jumped to it and then I did get a lot of noise at the time was Murray Foote, the, the guy for the Daily Record and sort of quote-unquote architect of the vow and becoming... I might have missed this. He became the SNP's kind of basically chief spin doctor. Right, okay. So the guy that created the vow is now the SNP's Malcolm Tucker. 
Um, well, if you can't beat them, <laughs> well, if you can't beat them, I, um, I, I, I quite liked seeing um, Nicola Sturgeon's sort of speech on Brexit Day, um, asking for a wee bit more patience when it comes to independence. And I know it's not what a lot of people wanted, and I know it's absolutely not what the SNP sort of campaigned on, like. Mm-hmm five weeks ago, six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're at a point where an adult conversation has to be had about where we're going. And they tried to force the issue. It didn't pan out. And they've come out and went, look, we're going to need to play the long game here. And like, I can I can kind of respect that change in perspective because I don't think patronising people is the way towards independence. And I think if we're going to get there, and I think the, the real meaningful way to keep the church together is we honesty and and I can as much as a lot of people within the yes movement or various sort of chapters of the yes movement were disappointed by it I was actually quite happy to see a mere sort of adult tone and a bit more realism about where we are on that one mm-hmm. um, I mean she's never going <clears> to <throat> especially when the reality is you kind of need to go ahead um, yeah for Westminster which clearly isn't coming so other than doing what happened in Spain and having a mock vote and for us to vote for our independence and then declare some kind of like declaration of independence I like the UDI idea which I don't think the SNP particularly want I think they want it to be legit the appetite has ever been there in Mm -hmm. the SNP for UDI but all options should remain on the table you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, I think the way the the best way forward for me is to actually talk to folk like adults and 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 build a real, genuine and solid consensus behind viable ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to admit that seeing um, the MSPs leaving um, Brussels <laughs> on the thirtieth or the thirty first. I did cringe a wee bit Aye. with the bagpipes and like the, the tears. I mean, equally so with Farage and his flag waving. Absolutely, I mean, obviously, it, it all go I think it goes without saying that them standing up and waving their Union Jacks or whatever. But I don't, I don't know if they were St George's crosses or if they were Union, they were Jacks. union flags. Okay. Um, that goes without saying that that's cringeworthy as fuck. And I they think can I'd get have had fucking more respect for Farage had he just walked into the middle of the council floor and just called it a massive turd and just walked away, like because that's what he thinks. <laughs> a principles. Uh, that's what uh, that's. Uh, you could have, I could have at least went right. It's a bit vulgar, but at the same time, you know that's what he thinks of them. Right. On this whole, yeah, let's leave flags and it's, uh, it was all about the Our Independence Day and some of the. I mean, before well, I before we we talk about. The, the Scottish side there the gathering in George Square was a joke an absolute joke I mean he's just the Brexit party in George I, Square I mean, right these are literal like turkeys voting for Christmas do you know what I mean I think they should have done a number comparison between that and the party that happened the night Thatcher died and see <laughs> the kind of appetite there actually is for the union in Glasgow absolutely you know I mean? like, I, absolutely but these are like I mean <clears throat> looking at the, cr- the crowd that's there they're they look like just normal working class folk mm. and they're wrapping themselves in a butcher's apron like with some kind of affiliate to fucking the queen or the monarchy yeah and it's hard to just it's hard to no hate them and no be like fuck you and get sort of resentful Aye. but on the flip side of it like I just I need to just bring myself to feel sorry for them because 
This is Annette Finlay said it, didn't it? And it's no, no surprise there's a lot of crossover between the type of unionist that's you know partying about Brexit and George Square and you know the guys who either join or follow the Orange Order. And Jeanette made the point that you know they don't realise that they're oppressed working class people as well, and like their attention has been diverted away from what is actually holding them down. You know what I mean? Like, and I think we see that again here in that respect. Absolutely. It's almost, I mean, there was a, a tweet that got quite a lot of sort of attention um, where the guy was basically like, I'm, I'm straight, I'm white, I support oh, right, uh, Rangers, yeah. I eat meat. And basically you're just like, mate, you, you've have you ever had an actual thought independent of your fucking mates or your, yeah. whatever your dad tell you? Like, see, for somebody to identify so in line. Now, I, I can probably quite understand that that person would look at me and go well you're the same but of the left yeah and it's like well let we can get into that because i'm not that's not the case but mm. to be that sort of like straight white male meat eater fuck vegans like you're so indoctrined and you're so so fucking asleep to the fact that you're just like a fucking clone of everybody else that's like that. Aye, this it's is almost a... like identity politics personified. Do you know what I mean? It's part of their identity. It's Aye. like, this is my core. And you're, there's almost like me arguing the with The one you thing know? that they don't miss for the 80s and 90s, you know, the Britain that was in the 80s and 90s is that, you know, people used to just have the decency of a fucking midlife crisis and buy a sports car. And mm. now they band together and wreck the country. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it's the same kind of, like, you know, dissociation with where they are in life. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> but I, so the, the the main thing that I was really cringing at was the whole sort of like crying and like the, the other MSPs for other countries sort of like applauding. It, I mean, I get I, it. I'm pro-European. Well, I'm... I wouldn't quite say that I'm pro-European, but I was definitely anti-Brexit. Yeah. Because the idea just never made sense. But, I mean, come on to fuck, guys. Like, getting a bagpiper and being like, you're welcome back, like, we're keeping your space yeah. for you. It's like... like we've, we've a light on. We, <laughs> we voted to stay in the Union, and the Union voted to leave the EU. Like, you kind of need to <clears throat> stop trying to, like... I think that they made a very big mistake trying to stop it from happening during the general election. Mm. And I think that we're still, especially in Scotland, and I think that obviously England voted for it, but I think the other countries have just sort of let go. We need to let go of this. We need to actually mm. look at what the fuck is going on. And now the Conservative government are starting to say that the Europeans are going back in their word and they won't sit down with us. And it's like, no, you know Aye. exactly, we knew exactly this is what is going to happen. This is what all the sort of project fear or for their side, the fear mongering told them exactly what was going to happen. It's going to play out like that. It's going to be painful. There's going to be job losses. And it's like, we, we need to actually and sit they're back. They're going to tank everybody the negotiations to then blame it on Europe. We need to bed in for this because there's some, fuck it, there's potentially some hard times coming. Yep. And instead of sitting crying and hugging and kissing people and sitting, oh, look at the bagpiper, you need to like get back and get to fucking work. Aye, and get organised. Aye, let's exactly. know make this as terrible for Scotland as what it potentially could be when we're talking about like parts of the NHS are already like on the table and blah 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 yeah all the shit that we knew was going to happen the NHS is going to get sold off like there's going to be clothes. I mean just it's less than a week and already Ikea are shutting shops now I don't Aye. know if you've ever been to that fucking Ikea down at Brayhead no but see if you could I think any- I've actually purposefully avoided it to Probably be honest with you because 
Anytime I asked the missus why she was going to IKEA, she usually responded meatballs. So Man, I tend to be fair. If you go in the back door just to go in and have the meatballs and gravy, you're probably doing yourself a really good service because <laughs> they're fucking banging. It was always a it was always a Cheap disconnect for me. It's maybe my days working as a, you know a shell stacking and B and Q. Maybe I mm. felt like I you know just about to cheat on. Right, did you, you know what I mean? Aye, maybe. But you can't fucking move in that place. Right, like it's so busy that it needs to tell you what you fuck. Do you know what I mean? Like stay in fucking line because the place would be utter chaos if they like opened traffic it. Traffic lights and shit. So it's no. I don't think it's an economical argument. I think this is the first effects. I mean, they're a European company, they're Swedish-based. Yeah. Like, I think this is the first major sign of what might be doing the, the I, road for people. I think that that's undeniable. I, and as I say, my, my biggest concern now is probably, as you say, how we mitigate this to the best of our ability. And again, probably echoing what we've already said, like that mere grown-up tone and approach for, you know, the guys in power in the Scottish government it can only be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if we have to have serious conversations and put, you know, solutions in place, then doing it, you know, our party lines is is just never going to realistically happen. You know what I mean? Like, no for me anyway. But, um, aye, I don't think this will be the last we see. There's, you know, Nissan and there are a number of other, you know, financial institutions and stuff like that that I've already said, like, they're off. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, I think the financial institutions, unfortunately, because of how our economy is keyed or geared, um, are going to be the biggest hit. You know what I mean? It's all right that as working class people, we can say, well, the loss of jobs is the worst possible thing for the economy. And in real terms, in real people's lives, it is. Mm-hmm. But like when the financial institutions up and leave and go to somewhere favourable like Luxembourg or wherever the hell, you know, decides to bring them in, that's aye, a massive hit on mm-hmm. you know, GDP, even for the ones that are fucking tax-dodging bastards. You know what I mean? Like they still generate revenue and income on a level that you know will probably be catastrophic if and when it leaves. Aye, you know absolutely. I mean? I mean, I suppose there is a flip side to it where potentially you could get the old pull yourself up your bootstraps message that comes for the right where it could be, well, if IKEA are going to close, then we need to start a British company or somebody out there needs to take the sort of bull by the horns and start the British version of IKEA. If we can import less from Europe, of which we do on a ridiculously big scale, is it an opportunity for somebody to be like, well, let's just do it for ourselves? Hmm. It's kind of strange to be thinking about is there a positive spin that I can get myself into on this? Aye. But it is genuinely the thing that I need today because, like I was saying, like, 10 minutes ago, this hasn't gone anywhere. Mm. Like, I think that no matter how much commentary we get about the damage, we also need odd fucking good people, the Aye. great and the fucking bold, to come up with some fucking ideas that Aye. we can maybe try we and come solutions. out with this. Do you know what we I mean? Absolutely. There was something that somebody said the other day that actually I was like, it was really thought-provoking that there's the potential that people look back on this decade, like 2000 and 2008 onwards, okay. as like something as deep as what we've seen in the Great Depression in the 30s or the 20s, whenever I'm fucking... In comparative terms, I, I would imagine I it's probably a fair comparison. point was comparison. that the actual length might not be a comparison to each other because it looks like this is just going to keep going on. Yeah. But 
it, so the the Great Depression was worse, but it's going to be like a shorter lifespan. Whereas this mm-hmm. is going to probably be not quite as bad for people as in like the massive job losses that you've but seen. It'll go on for much but longer. it's going to go on for a lot longer. Yeah. I mean, we've just we've not even seen the austerity. And no, I remember Brexit's going Javid to was telling us that austerity was cancelled at the <laughs> the last election. Um, and it's taken five weeks from now to come out. There was chatter, no retail, you know, price index cuts to any department in Westminster. Austerity is over. Pour the pints, lads. We did it. Uh, you know, George Bush's mission accomplished with the Tory government at the frontier. And um, last week, every department in Westminster was told by the Chancellor of the Exchequer to cut like 5% for their budget. So it's taken, you know, five, six Next weeks for and key central election pledge to go straight out the windy. Um but that's because it was always gone out the windy. I'm surprised they waited six weeks to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um it wouldn't have surprised me had they been out partying and burying it under the you know the news of the election victory the day after. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, um you we're only going to talk politics in here well I know, I know it's we, we, it, 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 this is politics. one of the ones that this week has left me a bit I I know I usually bring a bit of political chat to it and you know I just I don't know man I was a bit couldn't be fucked this week as I say the the, the Mackay thing passed me by um, you know the Murrayfoot thing as much as I you know recognise the you know the size of the the, the change and, and the person like again I was a bit nonplussed by it um, and like I because we're so engaged with so many of these topics for the purposes of the show I think I got a wee bit like overwhelmed with some of it and I just like retreated uh, the last sort of week or ten days into like a wee Netflix bubble or like true crime documentaries and like probably want to talk about that a bit because A I've seen some absolute crackers but B like is this like phenomenon that's out there mm-hmm. uh, true crime where you know, there's obviously millions of podcasts about it. Um, there's no documentaries on, you know, every possible format you can think of talking about, you know, all sorts of, you know, various incarnations of, you know, crime. And, like, I just went down the rabbit hole, man. Like, I, I, I have in the past watched, you know, Making a Murderer and... Yeah. So you know the, the, the culturally popular sort Aye, of true crime documentaries. Definitely. But I'm sure if you go down a rabbit hole, that that could lead to some pretty Dude, interesting documentaries. I was watching foreign language true crime last week, so I was like, <laughs> nice. I was so far down the rabbit hole that I'd run out of stuff to watch in my own language. Um, so I, but I mean, I think this we spell started with the the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Um, I'm not a big NFL fan. I know obviously it's Neither becoming a, a bigger and bigger thing. Aye. I get that, you know, the Pats or the the Patriots for anybody else who doesn't, you know, follow it, are essentially the Real Madrid of the NFL. Like they are the team, Aye. or you know, Man United in the nineties under Fergie. They're exactly. Like, I think they're the they were the last great. Hmm. So, so there was like the Miami Dolphins, uh, like Aye. yesterday, or yep. like back in the day, but. It's it's been the Patriots for what the last fifteen. Well, they've won like seven out of the last ten or something. Right, like that. Okay. I, I get that's probably not. And obviously, it's fucking like, what's his face Brady and Tom Brady's aye. the greatest quarterback ever. So this fellow Hernandez was like in and around um, a few sure. of these teams. Um, 
he, he played the kind of like receiver position so his job is to basically catch the ball ah, he's and a get it on the line he's a striker ah, he's the striker he's the Ronaldo type he's um, the big money player so there's like two one on each side Aye. and then you've got the quarterback the quarterback is essentially like the playmaker yep. and the the two are like the two strikers yep. well, yeah. so they, they, so they're the glory players this lad and it, it's kind of maybe echoes the Philip Schofield thing a wee bit in the sense that going up through high school he had had relationships with men um, he'd obviously also had relationships with women and as a footballer there was a lot more of an emphasis on his masculinity cis persona if you mm. follow me his dad was very driven like one of these kind of tennis mum type archetypes where he's very driven he's very he, you know treats his kids like recruits rather than you know kids yeah. sort of thing and uh, it all kind of went tits up for him in high school when his dad passed away just as he was going to college mm-hmm. he went away to college away from home when he'd originally planned to be at college at home um, but he's rise through the sort of high school and college ranks was so meteoric that he ended up going to like the best college football team kind of well, like he then went the, to the parts in the uh, professional the funny thing about it was is that they, they had been told that he, he would they, he'd been engaging in like risky behaviour yeah which um, I was like right so this is the type of shit that they're, they're looking that <laughs> couldn't believe that they're looking that deep but then obviously it makes fucking sense they're going to invest Potentially hundreds of millions of dollars oh, into these these guys, so they want to know everything. But they the Pats had been told that he'd had risky behaviour, so they wanted him, but they didn't want him at the same time. So they Aye. put him as like the last pick in this draft, which I don't understand. I'm not even going to try. I don't and explain understand it either. They get to but pick players. Basically, I think you get four picks. Right. I don't know. I don't anyway, know. let's just say you get four picks. Get they put that. him in as fourth. Knowing fine well that another team's going to take this guy because yep. he's so fucking good because he was it. exceptional. I mean, he was like the the up and coming like next big thing Aye, type thing. Definitely, um, good looking guy, tall like he oh, was, I, he like, was like the full package. Really, immigrant wasn't he? family. He was like the American dream. But I felt paper. I almost felt like that the Netflix thing made too much his sexuality. I think that the guy absolutely was confused and probably. Mm probably absolutely scared to commit but I think that for me the head injury thing is the the crux now the guy's had traumatic experiences he's had the traumatic experience he's lost his dad at a young age that's that's an adverse childhood experience I mean the thing that I'm walking in and his cousin's husband is in bed with his mother like he's in the kitchen and his boxers is like I mean, he said to her on the phone, like, you ruined me. I think the guys had emotional instability. Definitely. That's the thing that's probably triggered the actual anger. But the the for me, like, the sort of crucial point in the linchpin is, like, being able to just pull that trigger. And I think that that, that hole that the bit his brain for the impact yeah. he'd been taking, they were literally saying that it was, like, horrendous. I think there's a perfect storm going on with the guy because what it, what it took storm. me is as much as it came packaged as a football thing having watched it it felt more like a mental health thing and as you say his sexuality early deaths in the family you know you know his mother then instantly kind of gone and finding a new partner and then moving away from home drugs zero consequences as a footballer mm-hmm. partying all the time and then you know being an actual 
basically a fucking rock star. I mean, this college football team were playing to 100,000 people easy. Or, mm-hmm. you know, this, when I mean, you see the pictures of the right. stadium and the, you're like, that's a college Col- game, uh, man. College like, sports it's is insane. Incredible. So, I mean, you're living the rock star lifestyle uh-huh. essentially at 19, 20 years old. You know, he then goes to, like, as I say, the, the team with the players, the coach, and goes on to win Super Bowls and stuff like that. And, like, on the surface, it all looks good, but this guy's instability is bubbling over under, you know, the whole time. Uh, he gets involved in a shooting. That It's debatable whether he's actually pulled the trigger on anybody. And in investigating that, the police find a getaway car for another shooting where somebody was actually killed in a drive-by, like, a year previously uh, in a club in Miami. The video from the club shows this guy Aaron Hernandez in the club that night, and they didn't. They, the police never put it together. Took them a year to go. Hold on a minute. This guy might have actually done this. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, so this guy played for an entire season, culminating in a Super Bowl one, whilst having actively killed somebody in the off season. Um, so I mean, the pressure that he was under, I, I, I don't know. I, I could oh, not fathom it and then exactly. you put the traumatic brain injuries and all that kind of stuff uh-huh. into the mix and I like, it's just this powder keg story and like the way like true crime approaches these things like it can be quite sensational at times and this one is very much of the kind of sensationalist genre in a lot of senses because it does sort of sex up his sexuality and uh, minimise I mean, the traumatic brain it. injury like it's, it's been a part of it the guys know he's not understood himself and I think he's felt mm-hmm. that he's had to hide a bit of him away just the fact that he wasn't out and he'd yeah. had like basically a boyfriend as a teenager and they were outing him in the press with his like, prison boyfriend and all the rest ah, it, it was horrific horrendous like, and, absolutely like the, the guy murdered people but I think that we're start, starting to get to a point now where we can understand I mean it doesn't excuse what the guy did like no. you said it was a perfect storm and I there think were also choices made absolutely yeah um, but I mean, some of the some of the statistics about like suicide and oh, like, traumatic head injuries. There's, there's and coming to even level. Scottish football now, where they're saying, I think when we spoke last about head injuries and head in the football, it was like twelve, and they're now talking about sixteen, eighteen year old age bracket mm-hmm. where they're going to try and minimise the use of head in the football. So I mean, Absolutely. this is a science that is now spreading. Absolutely, it's being legitimised everywhere. McNamara, do you know what I mean? It's hard to say that's linked, but obviously no. But there's been cases of like problems, neurological problems, yeah. and obviously David Cooper died of the same thing. And yeah. at the time, they were sort of speculating of whether or not it was like head in the ball. Quite possibly. Like I mean, I think whilst like Jackie's in the woods, so to speak, or I would want to say is just one of my early Celtic heroes. Aye, like, absolutely. Played anywhere that was asked to him, grafted like a motherfucker, captain the side, won trophies. Like, oh, oh I'd want to say on this until we know Mare is like a healthy and speedy recovery. Aye, you know absolutely. I mean? um, but as you say, like these injuries and that definitely should have been Mary a focus in it. But what I was getting at there was like the sensationalised nature of like, NFL star, gay, blah 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 blah. It was there was elements that it was a bit. It's kind kinda, of it's just the truth of the matter. It's the true crime like, genre, but is, no. there is that like, oh my god, wait until the next episode. Can I mm. like thing and on a lot yet? How much do you think that in that world, do they steer? Does the creator steer what's going on? Because the Amanda Knox one. Mm. is like very much on her side yeah and I came out of the other end of it sceptical and mm-hmm. gone like I don't th- I don't think she did that but I've watched it a couple of times and when you watch it it, 
it is steering the watch for me it's steering the viewer there's definitely towards a bias. her yeah and same as me I remember at the, at the time but being in the UK the coverage was absolutely was very brilliant. much that I, yep. that that she had done it. We had this with the Madeleine so McCann strange. one as well, and this is this is probably one of the ones that I'll touch on alongside the Amanda Knox, the Madeleine McCann, and I watched another one. This was the the French one that I watched called um, "Who Killed Little Gregory," and it was about a wee four year old guy in a French village in the eighties, and he ended up in the local river, and the house, the family had been getting taunted by a crank caller who claimed responsibility for it. Police couldn't find them and then tried to basically pin it on the ma. And then we've seen with the Madeleine McCann one as well yeah. that, you know, the story here at the time was very much, oh, there's blood in the boot and the dog smelled this and blah, blah, blah. But when you watch the documentary, you come out the other side of it and you're like, oh, that stuff I believed at the time, same as Amanda Knox, all oh, that stuff I believed at the time from the press was absolute fucking nonsense. Uh, pure garbage. Like, millions of people had these individuals and families convicted in their minds after backer just pure hearsay in a lot of cases you know what I mean like, I mean it goes even it goes it gets even worse than that I mean I, I, I remember sitting with somebody and it was that girl that got murdered where they, they had like the CCTV footage in like a Sainsbury's okay and then she went back and they could trace her steps sort of back towards the house and like mm-hmm. the landlord stayed in the flat up the stairs I was sitting and watching the news and pure fucking hell man and the guy literally his face came on the screen and the person that was with was pure he did that I was like wait a oh, minute this is the guy that they he arrested and then they let either what, like, he had white hair whoa, wait a minute I was like fucking hell easy like, the BBC he, did a drama on that and so they did literally pe- loads of people I was going to say it came out that loads of people did that they yep. seen that guy when he did that aye you, need to, you do need to be careful it because that is definitely one element that all these kind of stories we've talked about have got in common is that a lot of assumptions were made about, you know, people based on, you know, let's be generous and call it hearsay, but, you know, could have just been outright lies. Zero evidence. Could have been as well, you know, a manipulation of the press in some places. I mean, Uh one of the other things that these stories have in common have as parochial police forces, you know, where Amanda Knox lived, you know, the McCann's in Praia de Luz and the French fella, the wee boy was in rural France, um, even like the Avery fella, you know what I mean? Like he's in sort of rural southern United States. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they don't... Because they get away with like pinning stuff on people, or they see like... The, they're almost like in the good old police, days aye corrupt police forces and back in the day they could just pretty much get away with the want but then this is their first taste of the media I think some like, of the implication oh, you need to you need to change aye I mean? some of the implication certainly in these cr- true crime documentaries is that malfeasance on the police force is part is, is part of it and you know briefing against suspects and stuff like that has definitely happened in all the cases that we've talked about Um <clears throat> There's also an element that these rural police forces probably have never dealt with, you know, cases of this magnitude, this scale, or, you know, getting this type of public attention. And, like, when your life is taking cats out of trees and, like, helping old ladies and stuff like that in your wee local village, when the entire world descends on it, screaming about where a kid is or where a woman is or, mm. what you know, who did what, aye, I can see loads of police forces all across the world probably buckling under that pressure you mm. know what I mean what? but do you think that 
the actual like fascination that we have with these things. Um, I don't know. I like, like the like you're saying. There's about a billion podcasts. Oh, aye, definitely. I like the the sunny in Philadelphia thing where they did the the making a murderer, with making making Dennis a murderer, and at the end of it, Mac was saying, "Oh, it's it's just like chips. You just sit." And you just shovel them in your mouth, and you're not getting any real, like meaningful nutritional value at it. But you just keep going back for the taste, the taste, the taste. And there's definitely an element of that. Like I think, you know, Do you think we're interested in. For me, sometimes I think that I'm trying to like tap into why they are like because I do enjoy them. And for me, it's like almost. Why do like, people go and watch? I want to get into that gallows, sort of mindset. You know I, mean? I want to like sort of try and understand, like what drives somebody to do that. Like what drives somebody to be able to kill people. Like I'm, I'm there's a puzzle element as well yeah, that people are like can I work it out? You know mm. what I mean? Like what do I think? What do you think? There's the the water cooler thing where everybody's talking about it, like which kind of echoes what happens in a lot of cases at the time. You know what I mean? Like, I mean I like watching it for potential sort of like corruption. Obviously, like I'm into that. Like yep. they make the murderer one. I'm not really that interested in like it's no kind of like the Ted Bundy stuff where mm. or um, other like sort of serial killer documentaries where it can be about what they did and yep. the sort of gruesomeness of that and yep. people are in it. That's I'm not really, again. I'm not really into that. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not really into so that the the one about I think there's part of me that is don't fuck with cats. Haven't I've not watched that yet. Well, it's a true crime documentary, so you should just get. There's also film. about cats and. There's we have a we have a strange relationship. Very about cats and what you do. Oh, right, okay. see, you see them getting harmed, so you oh, probably quite that. enjoy it. No, there's a bit where a python like launches on a cat, but you see it oh. briefly. You see it in like a flash. Right. So like that type, you don't see it. You don't really see it. I don't want them hurt. I just want them to leave but me alone. That was that was kind of like a lot about the guy's psychology, which I enjoyed. But there was a good bit about like how sort of sadistic the, the guy was. Right. And I'm not really into that. No. Like, when you really want to. Um, watch a Peter Tobin documentary because we don't really know a lot about him, the individual, yeah. and we know just more about the actual crimes that he did. Yeah. And like, I, I suppose that's, that's the, the type of like documentary Peter you're going to get on and stuff Channel like 5. But um, what I really like about the sort of more what, what's been coming out in the Netflix stuff is, is that they do actually try and understand what's going on and try and give you a sort of insight into the person. Um, and this is where that bias comes in. Like they, they definitely try and tell their own story. Like the Amanda Knox one was very much favourable in her, and I think rightfully so. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like um, the McCann one kind of swings backwards and forwards, but my ultimate sort of conclusion is that the wee lassie was taken, and they probably had not today. We're barring their own stupidity and leaving the, the documentary Aye. because up until that point, I absolutely thought that they did it. And the making the murderer has caused public outroar and you know calls for retrials and all sorts you know there's all pardons being discussed for the, the nephew and all these types of things and like there is definitely a mobilisation behind these when you Did know Trump the no story promise to free Stephen Avery I'm not sure couldn't tell you <laughs> um, but like when you, you touch on Bundy like there was a, a recent one that kind of bucked some of the trends that we've been talking about in terms of like sensationalising it focusing on you know the crimes themselves and I was really quite taken aback by it because on the surface it when I gave the premise like you're going to be pure this is like ripe for like sensationalising and it was like a whatever five six part documentary where the woman who 
was Ted Bundy's partner in the sort of five-year period before he started killing and through his trials up until quite close to um, his execution. And her step, her daughter, or the, the the girl who considered her, or the new woman who considered herself Ted Bundy's daughter for all intents and purposes. Um, and on the surface, that's very much like, oh, let's hear how bad their life was and all that kind of shit. But like, this was like framed in a, a really sort of wider context. I think it was called uh, "Loving or Falling in Love with a Murderer or a Killer" or something like that. It's on Amazon. Um, it was actually really quite subtle and. Although Bundy was the catalyst for the, the series, like, and I said this on Twitter, like, he's not really the focus of it. Like, there's a lot of power being taken back by the family and by a number of the victims, people who found out they were his first victims as he ramped up towards killing and stuff like that. And there's a very sort of female-centric sort of perspective on not just Bundy and his crimes, but, like, the wider sort of societal context that it was happening in. So, and some of the echoes, again... With the, you know, our time kind of jumped to me where there was never an explicit argument made, but the kind of gist of what was being said about the 60s and women's liberation, the civil rights movement, was that it made a certain type of man uncomfortable. And that the spike in serial killers all across America in the 60s and 70s and beyond was a reaction He's to saying that we're going to be getting serial killers soon because of <laughs> the spike in sort well, of that similar sort of thing a, that we're going through a, a reaction from a specific type of man mm-hmm. to you know changes in society in the last sort of 10 to 15 years and maybe there's a, a similar thread there even if people aren't necessarily going out and killing um, but it was it was very sort of well done it was very subtle it was very respectful um, and really it, it kind of like it kind of minimised Bundy and his own story which I found quite an interesting sort of take and it kind of definitely went against a lot of what we see in true crime where they took the bits that had been sensationalised and they contextualised them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was weird to see this woman and her daughter go, like, we loved Ted. Like, mm-hmm. the five years before he went off the deep end were the happiest five years of our lives. You know what I mean? Like, you see the pictures in with this wee lassie and, he, you know, in the pictures he's everything that a dad should be, he's everything that a partner should be. Um, and then as he, he started to pull away, obviously things changed. And, like... The disbelief, the, the you know the realizations and the sort of journey that this family have had to go through in the wake of Ted Bundy, um, kind of tied in really nicely with the other families that were affected by Ted Bundy's actions, and there was a very sort of high proportion of like incredibly strong women, mothers, sisters, daughters who were left behind who stepped forward and was like, no, my life is not going to be defined by this guy, and mm-hmm. even. The, the family in question, who was his, you know, step family, were, you know, it's been a long journey for them. There's been alcohol and substance abuse mm-hmm. they've been through the mill, as you would expect. But on the other side of it, there's this realisation that they don't have to carry him with him the rest of their life. They can choose to kind of let him go. And that was something that echoed across a lot of the victims, where there was a lot of forgiveness, a lot of reconciliation, like some of the things that mothers of victims said to his mother were extremely touching and and very sort of, you know, Christian, shall we say, in terms of forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. And like, even though the the documentary series itself 
did touch on really horrific shit and like you know 36 women at least you know sort of dying in pretty horrific ways like the overall sort of feeling at the end of it was that I was delighted that these women had found closure that they had found acceptance and forgiveness and you know going with their lives to the best of their ability and like that to me kind of bucks the trend because mm-hmm. you watch the Alan Hernandez one and it obviously ends with him killing himself Aye. you know the everyone is an open question um, you know the staircase one has a definitive result but again a lot of questions are about how they get there like the one about Gregory and France is completely to this day unsolved you know what I mean like so it was nice to watch something that was uplifting and has a bit of closure mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, but I, I would highly highly recommend it because right. that contextualisation in the wider context of society at the time was just so so well done mm-hmm. that it's definitely so what else has been going on then um, I think as much as we don't spend a lot of time talking football or we try not to anyway like things in Glasgow particularly around accusations of racism and whatnot have got a bit out of hand mm-hmm. um, obviously for those who don't follow Glasgow football an accusation of racism was made that wasn't made you know it was publicised that a Rangers player Alfredo Morelos had claimed racism and you know racist abuse the translation showed that that wasn't the case uh-huh. questions were asked to the broadcasters which we don't really have sort of meaningful answers to some accusations were made about members of our local press trying to set agendas um, and obviously you know some other media types around the city have lost work as a result of it um, and now we're at a place where a 12-year-old boy has been charged with racist abuse and Rangers decided that the best thing to do would be to write a, whatever, eight-paragraph statement belittling and besmirching a 12-year-old and also kind of pointing fingers around the rest of Scottish media and society Uh and being like, ha, we kind of told you. And... As much as, like, any racism anywhere needs to be addressed and confronted. Absolutely. Like, the manner in which we confront these things, kind of like when we were talking way out for Indies, that you might want to help in a particular situation, but a lot of the time, how you approach the way you help is vital. You know what I mean? And I think probably our media needs to take a better look at itself. Certainly a lot of fans on either side of the divide in Glasgow need to take a look at themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ones where I think we need to stop tit-for-tat statements in the press. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's feeling really counterproductive to me, uh-huh. to be honest with you. Like, it just takes away from... I mean... Well, let's just talk about football. Aye, exactly. I mean, let's... <clears throat> just say that like absolutely in no way condone any sort of racism we were at Celtic Park one time mm-hmm. and I've been to Celtic Park um, like thousands uh, of times more times we can count and there was one instance I you can totally remember Aye. somebody was racist towards a Dundee United player and literally like, Our entire section nearly crucified him. Exactly. And that's the type of that's the type of backlash that you get at Celtic Park. In my experience, it's circumstantial, it's no any sort of evidence that racist never happens. Never aye. happens at Celtic Park. I've witnessed it happening, but what happened was the guy 
had said something racist and then like you said the full section turned around and was like fucking rat bat Aye. so that's my experience of racism at Celtic Park it's not allowed mm-hmm. like certainly not tolerated when uh-huh. it shows up you know the, I mean, the translation I think it's it was his agent or something that translated it, it the guy never mm. said what was in the translation you can read the actual translation um, like it's been done and I, I mean now this sort of like news about the 12 year old boys being arrested and it's like based on what I mean I don't get it I, Aye. see if see if it comes out and it's like the wee guy gets convicted yep. and it, everything you've got to just condemn it and that's the end of it. I don't understand why there needs to be this like vitriol, and or why one of the leading clubs in Scotland finds it appropriate to, especially when proceedings are still to happen. Like they prefaced their statement with, "We don't want to prejudice any legal proceedings," and then went on to prejudice legal proceedings. Possibly, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like, don't want to end up on the receiving end of a statement. Absolutely. You know what I mean. Like, I think that I've. I've seen quite a lot of sort of who are Rangers to um, sort of like take the moral high ground and like they had a section of their supporters locked out by UEFA and twice this year that, exactly but put that aside that doesn't matter like this is what I, like you're saying it's this sort of tit for tat point scoring well, using your own racism chari- or racism charity to point score with a child in the public domain I mean, it actually belittles what is probably really good work that everybody, the everyone, everywhere campaign or whatever it's called is doing. I mean, those guys must be sitting in their office today cringing that, you know, whoever's in charge of the crayons in the Ibrox press office have decided to use mm-hmm. their good work trying to eradicate racism for our game as a point scoring exercise with a child, you know like, what I mean? Like, can I believe that there are idiots that go to Celtic Park that would racially abuse a Rangers player? Absolutely, do you know what I mean? But it would be condemned, uh, and it just should be. And, and racism is everywhere, you know what I mean? The, like, the whole sort of like increasing divide between Celtic and Rangers fans that's happened their sort of last five years in particular since they came back up like mm-hmm. the sort of bitterness about it and it seems to be that Rangers as a club got on board with it I don't know if it's some kind of like they think it's like some sort of clever marketing strategy that knows basically like, like keep the base motivated exactly kind of almost like Trump style sort of political tactics and I think it's probably quite appropriate that this week you know I was going to say one racist organisation potentially went into business with another, but um, I they signed a deal with Trump Turnberry, and you're like, you know, you, you probably shouldn't be releasing statements and lecturing us about the abundance of racism in society whilst also simultaneously signing business deals with one of the biggest and most open racists in the fucking planet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but again, optics, etc. And I don't probably want to spend too much more time on it all than to say that I think we've delved into like, the bottom of the pit and like mm-hmm. we now need to start climbing back Absolutely. up because this is no the way to combat racism and this is no the way to fucking like talk about football mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, it's meant to be the beautiful game like, let's get back to fucking talking about how teams are playing and you know competition and Absolutely. all that other like, shit you know what I mean like, the guys that I know that are Rangers supporters it's still the same sort of chat that I get with them that I've always had aye. with friends and acquaintances that are Rangers supporters it's like friendly banter whoever's got the upper hands get the upper hand and yep. you just need to suck it up but I think like 
that isn't reflected on what we're seeing on Twitter. It's literally like getting to the sort of bottom of the barrel. And what we're seeing in the press from it's stopping at, at least one side. It's go- it's going to get somebody hurt. You know what I mean? Like if we don't dial this rhetoric down and actually find a way for football clubs just to talk about football, then I have a genuine feel that somebody's going to get hurt, and I think mm-hmm. that's why we've addressed it today. Um, and again, no, no pointing fingers. There's, you know, all sorts going on. I don't know who's guilty or what and where, like, but at the same time, how we talk about it and what's actually been said and the accusations that are getting flung about and the ramifications that are coming for those accusations and so on and so forth, like, just needs to fucking stop. Mm-hmm. So it does, like, um, aye. I think that's pretty much all I got to say on it, to be honest uh, with you. Absolutely. Um, the last couple of days, if we're going to move on, probably lighten the tone a wee bit <laughs> after racism. Um, <clears throat> Boris's bridge, like, have you seen? You've seen Boris's. I've seen that. We're going to build a bridge day. between Northern Ireland and in, Scotland. In Scotland. That engineers have repeatedly say will not work because I think one of the guys I read said that. At its deepest point and a clear sea level, you would need pylons that were 1,400 foot long, um, that there's sections of the trench that are over a 1,000 foot deep, and that, you know, throughout the entirety of that section of the, you know, Irish Channel or whatever we call it, um, there's unexploded ordnance for like World War II. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, too deep, it's too wide, it's too long. And it's got blow up. And it's got bombs <laughs> all over it. And like... What are they thinking? Well, this is this is the thing. Like, I'm not necessarily surprised it's a Boris Johnson policy, to be honest with you, because I think in the face of, you know, Brexit Britain, we're maybe trying to hark back to, like, the halcyon days of, like, great British engineering. And I think this is something that he looks at as, you know, like a potential legacy. I think it's also probably not surprising that as we sat here today, the high-speed two-rail plans have apparently been okayed in the final thing. So we're going to spend, you know, 50-plus billion quid on going to fucking Birmingham. The Northern Powerhouse. Right, you know, 50 billion quid to get to Birmingham. You're like, give everybody jetpacks. Everybody that wants to go to <laughs> London to Birmingham, spend the 50 billion quid and just fucking give them jetpacks. It'll be cheaper. You know what I mean? Like, the money you've got left there, you can spend on like crash helmets and what's knee the pads pot- and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Positive, like outcomes are HS two. <clears throat> Absolutely none. I, I don't know. I've got no idea. But It'll allow it- people to get to London and spend money there faster. Probably. You know what I mean? Like people will now be forced to commute. You know, people who used to complain about having to commute to London for Watford will now have to do it for Birmingham because house prices are so fucking ridiculous that they can't live within four hundred miles of where they work. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, so I, it'll get for Birmingham in tours. You know what I mean? Like, so that's the that's the the like the outcome is the, the, there's a train that goes from London to Birmingham in two hours like, I don't know super fast it's at right. high speed I don't know the exact like hangmies but I think you know Japanese bullet train except going to Birmingham you know what I mean like, but as I say these engineering things these projects that are there to you know showcase British engineering British products and you know thinking and you know modern thinking and all that shit like to me it's Johnson thinking about yourself as like a prime minister for like the steam age where you know you get to Stonewall at the latest train and it's an actual big deal or like somebody building a bridge somewhere was like an actual feat that people were pure Jesus fuck they built a bridge there and you're like 
that was 150 years ago, guy. Aye. You know what I mean? Like, a bridge. Even if this bridge could work, which it can't, or probably won't, it's it's just a bridge. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's 21, 12 miles across or whatever. Like, in China, they're making bridges that are, like, whatever, 60 kilometres long and go under the sea. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> even that cost billions of pounds and you're just like, I don't know that as we start to face these challenges that we talked about with Brexit at the start of the episode, like spunking 50 million quid on a train set and or 50 billion quid on a train set and however many billions on a bridge that's extremely likely to fucking blow up. Like, I think that money could probably be better spent. Aye, I don't think absolutely. we need prime ministerial vanity projects. You know I don't what I mean? see either of them getting completed either. So <laughs> They couldn't even have a whip running make Big Ben bong when it came to fucking... <laughs> you know what I mean? They needed 500 grand and they were like, nah, fuck it. We're going to spend £50 billion getting to Birmingham. You know what I mean? Like, Aye, okay then. Who's charging the government that 500 grand? Like, <laughs> who I owns like, that company? I was going to say, who owns Big Ben? Surely the government owns Big Ben and can just be like, make it happen. Like, it's in their building. Everything costs money. Do so they rent? Like, the I guy, don't know. So they try to say that the guy that goes up and like hits the fucking bell or whatever, like gets paid half a million quid or... <laughs> is that... that must, it must all be automated Surely to Christ. There's no I think there's a computer. I think there was a day ben. where there was a guy pulling a rope to bong Big Ben, but like surely to Christ that's no still the case. Computers have stole that job. If he is, like fair play him for getting five hundred grand. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But I think it was just mere about the infrastructure that was needed to make it happen. You know what I mean? Like, but again, this is this surely it already exists. It's not instant like failure gonna... of you know British engineering was that on Brexit day they never got it. Like he's going to talk about bridges that will never happen. High speed too. I mean. 50 billion is probably like a conservative estimate, you know Aye, what I mean? Like, it'll be like the Edinburgh trams, it'll just escalate. Oh, of course, the minute everybody gets their, their claws into it. Like, but I think it's, as I say, this halcyon day sort of Brexit Britain thinking is that like, fuck all this nonsense, let's spend everybody's money on a bridge, you know what I mean? Like, that's what we'll do, so he can stand and wave his union flag. Mm-hmm. At the frontier bridge and think, grand and granddad uh, happy. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And uh, aye, it's it's aye, it's unnecessary for me. But the Mary's projects that fail, the better. <laughs> you know I, mean? like, I think it'd be quite funny to watch stuff like that for about in its arse because if mm. we're going to spend the money on it, it might as well also be a total failure. You know what I mean, like, the actual like political... the only way the visual metaphor works. You mm. know what I mean? Like, the actual political like environment right now is I just. I, it doesn't feel real. Mm. But, like he's prime minister, Trump's president. See if you if you were to go back, like I, it's like the stuff that like idiocracy little, and the like Simpsons. eight years ago and said that they have been like unthinkable. Aye, I read a, a really good long read on the BBC website today talking about American politics um, and obviously the tone of things there after the impeachment trial. And it was saying eight years ago, Romney, as he accepted the nomination was, you know, stunning with Trump while Trump was doing all his birther bullshit with Obama and now eight years later was the only person on the Republican side who voted, you know, against the Republican Party in the Senate and had to, like, basically give a kind of teary explanation as to why he went against the party. So eight years is a fucking quite, long time in politics. Quite, sim- you know what quite I mean, symbolic, like, that, as well. It is, I, I mean, it's not the same here as no, well. I mean, Romney's any fucking, like, great guy. The, no, absolutely not. There's elements of the, the debate here that I'm both kind of like frustrated with and 
kind of pleased by in recent weeks. Um, the Derek Mackay thing was a horrific situation. Um, obviously, you know, it's arguably sort of predatory behaviour. Um, you know, sending hundreds upon hundreds of messages. I mean, none of the messages themselves appear to be illegal. Um, but at the same time, they're extremely distasteful and, you know, we're, we're very much in sort of potential sort of grooming and predatory territory here. And I think when the story broke, you know, the right thing was to get him out of there as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the rhetoric around that was swift, it was quick, it was to the point and it got the, it got the job done. The coming days after it have been a bit of yeah, disappointment because so many people across the sort of divides in Scotland kind of agreed for just like one moment. You know what I mean? There was a moment where Labour, the SNP, even the Tories and the Greens were all saying, we agree that this guy needs to go and well played to the government for swift uh -huh. and effective action and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of felt like a moment of calm where I was like, this was as much as the situation was horrible, there was a moment where everybody was on the same page and mm -hmm. like if we could get that more often maybe more things would get done. Aye, it's kind of shit that it needs to come to something a situation like that for aye, for like kind of like agreement. It's a shame I a very big one. But then the next day we get out there and the story becomes about how the SNP had asked for details of the accusation for the son and obviously a number of sort of unionist MPs and MSPs decided that that was unacceptable, you know, that this was something that they could point score on. And we kind of went back to, you know, the same shit of the last couple of weeks and months and years. And I was a bit like, oh, fuck, man, that did not last. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. And I can get why folk are like, oh, well, hold on a minute. You know, why were they asking for the boy's name? But I think if you consider the SNP Mackay's employer, and an accusation is made against somebody that you are ultimately responsible for. I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, unreasonable to ask for details of the accusation, but at the same time, does that need to extend to the boy's name? I don't know. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, boy's name should absolutely not be in the public domain. <coughs> but as you know, potential representatives of the accused party in that moment, I don't know that asking for these de or details of the accusation at least were unreasonable. It, it could be as simple as following protocol. Maybe. I I don't know. But Who at the knows? same time it's Who hard knows? to but like go, that was a terrible hint of day. Uh, and we kinda went back there after twenty four hours and I was a bit like, Oh the car laws and, you know, the Annie What's her name and all these other sort of Tories were just straight back banging the drum and you're like Maybe this is one that we just kind of like step off and let the family for one, you know, come to terms with the shitstorm that's going on about them. Let's get the guy out of the public domain as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. We then moved on to accusations of being told he wasn't allowed to drink at formal parties. And aye, that all again might be true, but again, it's like kicking a dead body. Like, what was the need for it? It was one of the ones where the guy was done, he's out, he's gone, he's probably never, and he rightfully should probably never come back. <coughs> Two days about stories about his drinking kind of left me going, right, and what? You know what I mean? Like, this, I, I don't need that. This, this guy is no longer somebody I need to get any consideration. Aye, it's just cannon fodder yeah. for them to just sling it, sling at you, do you know what I mean? Just pure, mm -hmm. here's mere distraction, here's mere distraction, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just that when when the media gets hold of something like this, they just 
push it until people are genuinely sick of it and no. then until people stop talking about it do you know what I mean we feed this beast do you know, like we, we engage in it and it's the clicks and the, yeah. that's what dictates what we get so I think that's the kind of largely kind of that thought process is what led me doing the whole with the, the true crime in the last week or two because mm-hmm. I get kind of fed up with it and I think it was a bit as much as we've talked in other episodes like about positivity and stuff like that I've definitely struggled in the face of quite a lot of this and been engaged with a lot of this to like remain hugely positive in the last couple of weeks and it's something that you know me I'm not exactly Mr fucking Sunshine and I a lot of the time I but have my wife you've got your base and aye. if you go below your base you know yourself do you know Absolutely. what I mean like and so I being naturally positive is something that is often a challenge for me in the face of some of the stuff I definitely took a wee bit of a dip and disconnected somewhat for the real world into my, mm-hmm. my true crime universe um, and I've got to say I, I actually found myself today kind of like tweeting out like kind of asking for tips on how people actually manage mm-hmm. you know that positivity because I know some you focus a lot on and that we talk about quite regularly and I always feel that you have a better grip at it than me in that respect. But then you always make the mistake of comparing yourself to other people when you think about Absolutely how you are in your mental health. And that's definitely something I try not to do. But it was good to get a wee bit of perspective for a few folk who tweeted back, you know, things like exercise, like making lists. I fucking love making lists. I make lists and work all the time. There's nothing more satisfying than like scoring shit after off the list. list and I've never, never until like this morning when I got the tweet back, thought to make a list in my personal life. I have things in my head that I want to go and do and achieve, mm-hmm. but I've never, I've never like listed it. In. And I, I've yeah, got right. to say that was one that was like, how do I not do that? Like, I do that in my professional life all the time. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, that is ridiculously satisfying, scoring. I mean, that was something that I took for somewhere that I had watched a fucking TEDx or something a few years ago. Mm-hmm. They were saying, even the most menial, menial tasks in your day-to-day, uh-huh. pare it down. Like, whatever it is, it's like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I think it was Darren Brown we were talking about, was it no? He was saying like, if I get to like three o'clock and I don't smell uh-huh. and I've got fresh breath, then that's one I check off the list. Aye, exactly. <clears throat> you so know, you're Darren Brown. Absolutely. Like, accomplished guy, you know what I mean? Like, even the, the things that you don't even think about, but actually like, I hate, that when I go into work in the morning, I hate looking at my emails. I fucking hate opening up my emails because... Right. There's usually shit there that you're going to need to do. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, your first thing in the morning, you, like, people work in the company that I work for 24-7. So I usually go in and there'll be something that'll need my attention. Yep. So it's something that I noticed that I don't enjoy, so I put it on my list because actually scoring that off actually fucking means something because I hate doing it. First, first emails, check emails, put check emails just to score it off. And that was something uh, so that... So you're just starting the day when I win? I... Right. Just stupid. That that was a tip that I got for something where it was like, just even the most silly stuff, if it causes you not to enjoy it, if you don't enjoy doing it mm-hmm. or whatever, put it in the list and score it off because yep. then you'll actually get something positive out of no light and doing Aye. something. Do you know what I, mean? I think one like, of the big things for me is that, like, sometimes as much as I have, as you say, that base where I'm in control, like, there are times where my brain is its own thing. It's an autonomous kind of thing, but I'm here in everyday life, doing what I do, as I do it, and it's taking out on something completely different. So living in the moment can be quite distracting. Um, but like having that critical mind, like it's always 
and in work sense anyway, like try to problem solve and it just I know it is me, but it sometimes feels like it's just stuff that's ticking out in the background that I'm not always necessarily conscious happening until I get the moment I go, Alright, cool, there's the answer there. But there's a lot of like critical thinking involved in that and like I think sometimes that's what I fall doing when it comes to the positivity is that my natural inclination is to think critically about uh-huh. how to tweak, improve, change and in work you get that instant gratification but in the choices you make in life sometimes the, re- the reward or the result is a wee bit further down the line Absolutely. and it's hard to, for me anyway, to think critically, that's no see results and then still remain positive if you like follow a, me. a really real way of description I've never really heard it being described that way but that is what triggers people into addiction mm. is that like when I'm not doing anything I need to be doing something yep. and that need and want to actually just keep yourself occupied ultimately leads to this but when I do this mm-hmm. I don't need to yeah. do that thing so it's just like uh, you, you've I mean the sort of like inner monologue and the trying to live in the moment like I think that you can get yourself to a place where you can pick and choose which one of the two that you do yep. and it, there's like a trial and error sort of period that goes with that because you can disconnect or you can live in the moment so much that you actually forget to do some critical shit that yep. you need to be doing you're like fuck man I'm forgetting to to do this stuff mm-hmm. but there also comes a time when if, if you are trying to relax that you should be able to relax and you should be able to switch off that like ticking air in the back Aye. of your mind where it's just constantly switched on. Like mm-hmm. I'm like you. Just try and keep an eye on that. Aye, I was. Well, like if I'm at work, I'm I want to be like that sort of like, active in the mind where people yep. give me problems and I've got just solutions. It's mm-hmm. like almost like a sort of creativity, and Definitely. I think that there's been descriptions and people described it and it's like overactive and whatever but I think that that means that I need to work doubly hard on being able to sort of cultivate and develop the calmer side of my mind because I've naturally got that creativity that people are just like I'd love to be like that where it's like I've just got solutions and it's like almost like an access like a sort of like random access memory where it's like do this or try that or try this or try that and it, it's worked well when I've worked on music it's worked well in a lot of aspects of my life but what it doesn't work well is when I need to just be myself and Aye. I just uh, either alone which has been a problem in the past for me or I don't know like just when I don't want to be hypercritical of myself mm-hmm. when I don't want to be like judging all my actions it almost leads itself into that aspect of your life when you're like I want to let that be a more sort of flow state where I don't really think about myself too much and I don't think about what I'm saying too much and I can just sort of relax more but when I go to work I want to be able to switch on that like absolutely quick mind I think that's probably one of the, the biggest challenges is like trying to manage emotion with logic like you can manage your professional environment with logic and process but like the biggest sort of challenge is taking those successes into your personal life because I don't think you can really or I personally struggle to manage emotion in a sort of logical or sort of process-based manner and like mm-hmm. I know that you're more sort of process-driven in terms of how how you manage yourself and stuff like that but 
coming the day has helped talking to people on Twitter has helped like I've definitely felt a, a wee bit more positive the day and that was good but actually like it's going to probably be a funny one to like say but do you know what actually turned the corner for me where I was like do you know what actually right done with that now back up back on the up step was Doctor Who right so I sat and watched this week's Doctor Who and um Aye, there's a debate around that in itself, which we're not going to get into. But since Jodie Whittaker has become the Doctor, there has been accusations of being kind of preachy. There's been okay. sort of racial elements, Rosa Parks, British in India. There's been, you know, a number of, like, environmental episodes and stuff like that. Triggering snowflakes. Aye, sure. yeah. You know, the, the type of guys that we were talking about earlier on about having a reaction to the change in society seem to know, like, this change in their society uh-huh. for a... TV show that they claim never ever watched in 20 years why a woman was the lead is an issue is beyond me but again we're not getting into that but like this week's preachy theme was mental health they had a, an episode where our companions were essentially trapped in their nightmares and when they came out the other side of it they all took a wee sort of two minute section at the end of the show wrap up to like kind of have a scene where they talked to somebody about how they'd been feeling and the pressures of travelling and dangers and blah 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 and it was quite cool I actually quite liked it you mm-hmm. know what I mean like what, I, what I also liked as well was the kind of punchline is Bradley Walsh talked to the doctor about his fears and his you know insecurities and she just kind of looks at him and goes cool so this is the bit where you're expecting me to say something reassuring right and you're just like I related to that because <laughs> as much as we day talk like I, I had you know quite openly amongst ourselves when other people talk to me, I do sometimes get a bit, even though I'm comfortable in myself, mm-hmm. get a bit like, okay, aye. so, you know. Aye, absolutely. And I think maybe it's a natural reaction, I don't know. And aye, just that we that we laugh, that recognition in a mainstream format, quite well done, you know, quite tastefully done and, you know, sent out a positive message. Can I actually perked me up a wee bit and then it had to be punchline that was like, but, you know, it's all right to talk, but except that some people are just not going to be ready mm-hmm. here you know yeah, I mean, absolutely so there's I mean, a wee bit of turnaround there as that. far as like staying positive I think that we all have our ups and downs and you need to just look at try and look at what's going on and if there's something that's actually like relatively shit going on in your life there needs to be an element of just accepting that you're not going to feel your best if yep. things run about you on the optimum. Do you know what I mean? Like, Definitely. I think there's. I've I've been guilty. Uh, maybe having some ill health, or maybe like being tired, missing out sleep, and it's I've allowed that to then like impact my mood, but then let my mood then impact my mental health because yeah. then I'm being like, why am I being like this? Why, why am I being, why am I feeling shit? minute your mood shit? starts driving your behaviour. Exactly. Aye. And I think that that's, I mean, literally CBT is just like, don't let your thoughts and your emotions drive your behaviour. But even if you don't, if if you can't be that mindful and you do sort of like snappy or whatever, you know, just feeling good in yourself, sometimes just accepting that that's the way it is just for the noon cut this together somehow but I think that the, that's where like meditation and mindfulness is really important to me because like it just if I don't meditate I just go into an absolute bubble and it takes for like a big thing like either mm-hmm. a big blow up or an argument or something like I've, I'm 
like really feeling like shit for me to like really just wake up. I mean, it's Aye. been um, <clears throat> a, 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 like a hundred and eighty-two day streak yesterday, and before that, I had done nearly two hundred days, and I was devastated. I was gone for like it was the two hundred and first day, mm-hmm. and I missed it. And of what, sorry? Meditating oh, right, every meditating, day right. in a row, and I missed it. So I'm like, technically, I'm I've meditated every day for a year, mm-hmm. but it's so important to me. It really is just Aye. for mood regulation and for staying sort of like grounded and not getting too caught up and just inside my own head. It's just aye. We all need to break. Couldn't live without it, honestly. I think there's probably like some really like slick time travel metaphor we could have made there in relation to you know about being stuck in the past or worried about the future. <laughs> um, related to Doctor Who. Related to Doctor Who. Unfortunately, I don't like Doctor Who. So you don't like Doctor Who, and I didn't write anything before one, and I'm no slick enough today to like own the hoof. So, you know. I think that's us really, isn't Aye, it? Man. I'm happy to end it there, man. Cheers for <laughs> as anticlimactically as possible. No, but like, <laughs> I mean, I, I've I spent, what, like six hours on a train today. Right. And I was genuinely, like, shattered when I came in. It's fucking freezing outside. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. I, I walked up to Central Station. I came in the house, the heat hit me and I was just like, do you know what I want to do? I want to just lie down. Mm. I got up at five this morning to go to Newcastle and I feel like really energised. So Aye. like cracking conversation, just about shit, but even just about the end one, just about like, I think that the guys on that responded on Twitter, like they were saying like health and fitness and stuff like that, it is really important. But Definitely. That's why I was just adding my own wee bit. Of course. About like what are like another sort of wee tip because you know like health and fitness is massively important and um it's I think like a lot of these things it's very individual. Aye. You find your own thing, you find your own way of coping. Definitely. But aye, thanks for coming and like just not at all. Having mate. a conversation because I, I absolutely like I was fucking knackered and I feel like pure energised by it, so Aye, aye, I've got to say, like, definitely feel the bounce back over the last 24 hours, starting with Doctor Who, finishing here, and then, you know, we'll see when next week next week. Hopefully brings Celtic us. one tomorrow. Hopefully. At Home to Hearts. Oz, are we aye? Right, cool. For some reason I thought it was Europe this week. No, and then next week. But right. anyway, cheers man. Until we meet again.
Selfish friend. 